James, you ever take your kids to no cultural? I can, I can, tell, you, I can tell you right now, <laughs> the answer is no. I do not take my kids anywhere. Oh, I take my kids to play ping Broad- pong with me. You take them to Broadway shows? No. Well, oh. I, I have. I took them last once. I took them last year to see Spring Awakening, had, had, which ooh. is the show with yeah. um, deaf people having sex, <laughs> and it's the, all the actors and actresses are. Well, deaf. that was the deaf version, uh, the deaf players version of Spring Awakening, correct? No, I think. The whole show is deaf actors and actresses. In this in this production, it was. Oh yeah, originally, okay. right, yeah. right, right. Did yeah. they like it? Uh, they they did like it, but we were we went to the premiere, so the after party they liked more because they recognized like oh, some yeah. of their favorite Disney stars and so on. So you've taken your kids to things. One thing, yes. One thing. Well, the question I wanted to ask you today comes from Cora, and it's not really about kids, but I interpret it that way because this is something I think about with my family. How? asks this person, do I enjoy art events, exhibitions, museums, and so on? Key word probably being enjoy. So I have a, I've thought about this for many years with my kids because we are the kind of family that drags our kids. Wait, it's things. how to enjoy it for yourself or how do you enjoy it when you're with kids? Well, answer it either way. I, I ended up... Because I'll enjoy a cultural exhibition that's really about something I'm interested in personally. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to overlap ever with... My kids' interests? Let's or, say when you're in a foreign city. Mm-hmm. Let's say you go to London or Paris or Ankara or somewhere. I hate to admit it, but the idea of taking my kids to a foreign city just seems like hard work to me. No, oh. I do think it would be a, right. the pleasure would be teaching them and watching their minds expand and learn and grow um, as opposed to my own. But it just seems like pure work. All right, let's say you're not willing to take your kids there, but let's say you end up there. Yes. Let's say you're there with a friend. Yeah. And let's say you decide to go to a museum. Maybe it's, you know, a big classical, you know, the British Museum in London or whatever, the Louvre in Paris or something. What's your strategy? This is what I'm really after. And this is what I've been thinking about is what's your strategy for having a successful, enjoyable visit to, let's say, an art museum, but it could be some other cultural institution. Uh, Do you have a strategy? Because if not, maybe I'll just give you the strategy then. No, I I think... I like to walk around okay. and just wherever my eyes wander, and then uh, I try. I, there's the kind of like um, uh, tension. Like, let's say you go to the Museum of Natural History or the Museum of Modern Art. There's this tension that there's like so much to look at. Yeah, that I feel like I get anxious. So, what do you do to fight that? I, I'll say to myself, I'm only going to look at a few things mm-hmm. and as few things as possible, and try to go in depth on as few things as possible and I'll only look at things that really truly interest me. I don't want to say okay, I'm going to look at this area because that area might not interest me. I'll, I'll only try to find things that catch my eye and I'm truly curious about. So otherwise if I'm not curious about it, the honest truth is I'm not going to remember it afterwards so what's the point? So I really want to have it's just like reading a book. You can't, and we've discussed this before you can't take away everything you read in a book. You could take away maybe 1 or 2%. So if I'm going to go to a museum, I want to make sure I have one takeaway. That's it, just one. So, well, that raises a, a different question, which is, are you trying to optimize your enjoyment in the moment of that visit, or are you trying to 
turn the moment, the visit, into a memory or a body of knowledge or experience, something like that? Both, because if it's a cultural... I, I define a cultural thing as like entertainment also. Because mm-hmm. for, for what's cultural from one part of history or culture was certainly entertaining in that part of history or culture. So I want to be entertained as well. But it's educational in the sense that I want whatever I learn to contribute. The one takeaway I have, I want it to contribute to either my you know, creative decision making or to my own body of work or to some aspect of my life. Uh, I want it to be, you know, you you read a poem both for its beauty and what it can teach you about life. You read a story for both its entertainment and what it can maybe teach you about another life. That's why I read a book is so that it's like not only can I, I get to live my own life, I get to live the life of the person in the book, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. If you're looking at, let's say, a painting or a sculpture or even, you know, a manuscript uh, in a museum, do you usually or often at least view it from the perspective of the creator? No, I don't think so. I think I try to view it from the perspective of how this is affecting me um, because I don't really know at all what the creator was trying to communicate. So I just want to feel and see how it's affecting me, which is why, by the way, taking kids there, then I'm more focused on how things are affecting them. But I thought I, you'd never taken your kids. Well, that's what I'm just saying. That's why so I wouldn't if you had ever that. taken your children to a museum. I haven't. And, and that's why is because then they're running around, they're doing their own thing. They want to go to the museum shop. They want to eat food. Then it's then well, it's I'm not, inter- not going to get my one takeaway. The running around and eating food. So basically, you've I'm, just nailed my strategy. Can I tell you my strategy yes. now? So if if I was answering the question, how do I enjoy art? You know, let's say let's say the question is. Are narrowly, you one of those people who just ask questions just so that you can answer them? Absolutely. All right, go for it. <laughs> so it is true. I think about this one a lot because ever since our kids were little, we've taken them to museums. Well, and, you live right next to the Museum of Natural History. Not that near, relatively near. More near near than the other 7 billion people on the planet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Although the Met is where we used to go. Our our kids were never crazy about Natural History Museum. The Blue Whale? Yeah. The Planetarium? Solomon was into dinosaurs for a while. Anya was into the big gems for a while. But the Met, I would say, no, MoMA is the one museum that we've gone back to over the years the most. Steven and I have this one under control, but I'm going to grab our QOD Magic 8-Ball just in case. We'll be right back. Oh, my God, Steven, I know you're not paying attention to me right now, but how do you feel about the experience your customers have when they call your business? You're right, I wasn't paying attention, but I feel... You know how I feel? I feel exactly how you feel, so why don't you just tell us how you feel about it? The truth is, most of these answering services are the same. And in order to truly wow your callers with the best service possible... You've got to check out Ruby receptionists. And I have to tell you, you really want receptionists that don't come across as fake. You want them to feel like they're right there. So Ruby's receptionists are available 13 hours a day. They have a five-star Yelp rating, and they're available five days a week during the peak hours for your business's call volume. Ruby provides multiple ways for clients to get in touch, which is really important. You can simply forward your existing phone number to Ruby's super-friendly team of professionals and prepare to be amazed. Ruby can also provide you with an additional phone number in your local area code or set up a toll-free 1-800 number. Ruby's advanced calling system ensures that your receptionist knows details about your callers before answering. They'll think your receptionist, and this is really key, is right there in your office instead of at Ruby's state-of-the-art facilities in Portland, Oregon. 
It's like having a model full-time employee for a fraction of the cost. In fact, Fortune Magazine has named Ruby one of the top five places to work for the last four years running. There's only one way to guarantee your callers a five-star experience, and that's with Ruby. Hurry to call ruby.com slash QOTD to get free activation, a $95 value. That's callruby.com slash QOTD. So my keys to survival for a museum are the first stop has always got to be the cafe, right? So especially with Uh, kids. To fuel them up. The minute you get in, and often in most museums, the cafe, you don't need the ticket to get in because they want people to come from outside. So no matter where we are, no matter how recently we've eaten, we almost always stop in the cafe first just because it's like a good entry point. You sit down, you relax, you eat something, then on a full stomach, you're definitely going to have a little bit better um, better time. And then we generally try to spend no more than 45 minutes in a museum. So a lot of times, especially if you have to like wait in line for tickets, also, if you can afford it, buy the fast pass ticket. Because like... Avoiding the 45 minutes in line. Uh, is there, for museums, is there For a lot of them tickets? there are. Yeah, I thought you that's can like buy, Disney World. Often you can buy some tier of ticket that's going to cost you extra. But like, here's the thing. If you wait in line for 45 minutes, then by the time you get in, you're going to think, oh, I've got to spend three hours here because it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? I've already invested 45 minutes of time waiting. So if I spend another only 45 in the in the museum, I'm getting ripped off, Right. So my view is you want to not spend a whole lot of time in there. Like 45 minutes is is great. If you want to spend three hours, if everybody's having a blast, that's fine. But don't turn it into some death march. And then I agree with you. Do not try to be encyclopedic. Just try to just look to get interested in one or two things, especially at a place like the Met or the British Museum that are huge and intimidating. The other thing is, I try whenever I see a crowd, I just go the other way. They're looking at the Mona Lisa, they're looking at the um, Rosetta Stone, whatever. Those are great. You want to see them at some point, but I think that the whole you know pushing to get ten rows back from the thing that ever, so you can say you saw it is a stupid waste of time and energy, and it's frustrating and it makes you want to get out of there. And then this is a trick that I think I learned from um, Tyler Cowen. You know Tyler Cowen? Yeah, yeah, Marginal Revolution. Right, he's an economist and. He's a quirky thinker about food and art and many things. I think this is his trick. He said, when you go to a museum, your quest should be, imagine that you're going to take home one thing from this museum to live with, and what would it be and why? And I find that to be a really wonderful exercise. It has nothing to do with why the artist created that work. or Yeah, what- no, I've heard something similar where, and I don't know if I agree with this, by the way, but you can tell if you like a piece of art if you're willing to hang it up on mm-hmm. your wall. I don't quite agree with that because there are some things that I appreciate that I would never hang up on my wall. So I get the point that that's one filter, but I wouldn't necessarily yeah. use that. And then the other thing that I like a lot for myself, but especially for kids, is you look for, you try to find the stories and the context of whatever you're looking at. If you're in Notre Dame Cathedral or if you're looking at a, a painting from whatever era, because, and, and I will say this, I think many, if not most museums, do a total crap job of explaining the interesting context of what you're looking at. You know, there might be a little label, might tell you a little bit about it, but... I, I think here's a here's a, a business proposal. Create augmented reality glasses. You so you put them on, and then as you're looking at something, 
You could sort and you move your finger around. You could sort of there's there's buttons in your field of vision. You can sort of see if you want more information, more history, almost like a 3D Wikipedia page about whatever it is you're looking at. Because I agree, the museums can't possibly explain in their little two-paragraph or one-paragraph description what all the subtleties of this work of art are. I love it. That is a good idea. You know, I have my wife who studied art history and was a photographer. Going to the museum with her, like, when you hear the story of the political revolution that's happening off out of the frame that's producing the scene of chaos that you're seeing in the painting and why the artist chose to have this person wearing a red shirt and why this person has you know a broken shoe and what that all that's all about it becomes fascinating instantly but museums like i said for the most part obviously they have the audio guides which are okay but they're usually incredibly pretentious and written by you know art history students who don't know how to write in english so i what, right they're really hard to understand oh often. my gosh so i mean considering how much the people who run museums love the art inside i find that they're typically really bad at explaining why anyone else should love it and, I think, and so I think that whatever you can do, if you were going to a museum or a church or whatever, some historical site with your kids, whatever you can do to figure it out, even if it's standing there with Wikipedia on your phone and read it as you go, you know, creating the context for understanding why this thing is is worthwhile is to me what it's all about. And, but then, that, that, and that's why you have to limit yourself really. You can't say, oh, I'm going to visit five rooms in the museum. It's good if you're going to visit one and have one takeaway from one piece of art. And then I think it's a worthwhile visit. Like Agreed. I think there's just too much stress put on, oh, there's so much in here. It's the biggest museum in the world. Have to see this, 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 this. Like just get from anything. I, I try to get one takeaway from anything, from a book, from a lecture, work of art, if you hear lecture from even this one podcast. I hope people get one takeaway. Thanks for listening. Right after this quick break, we'll give you a taste of our next question of the day. I think most answering services are basically all the same. It's hard to find one that stands out. I thought that way until I ran into Ruby receptionists. Wow your callers with the virtual receptionist service with the five-star Yelp rating, Ruby receptionists. Hurry to call ruby.com slash QOTD to get free activation, a $95 value. That's callruby.com slash QOTD. Next time on Question of the Day. We're recording this right after Memorial Day. And this is a little bit controversial. Do you think any wars were worth it ever in history? Well, sure. Depends who you're talking about worth it for whom. So, Well, well okay. Um, Hannibal made out pretty well. Yeah, sure. You if, know? if you or your family died in a war, then, well, I don't know. I don't know. What makes a war worth it? Tell me. <laughs>